Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hi there, this is Jillian on Love, and I am on a mission to teach people how to completely revolutionize their romantic relationships by transforming the relationship they have with themselves. So whether you are single or heartbroken or you're in a relationship, I've got you covered. I'm Jillian Tarecki, certified relationship coach and teacher with over 20 years experience helping people transform their lives. I have coached and taught thousands of people become better versions of themselves and change the way they show up for and within their love lives. In today's episode, I interview the great Lewis Howes. Lewis Howes is a New York Times bestselling author, keynote speaker, and industry-leading show host. Howes is a two-sport All-American athlete, former professional football player, and member of the USA men's national handball team. His show, The School of Greatness, is one of the top podcasts in the world with over 500 million downloads. He was recognized by the White House and President Obama as one of the top 100 entrepreneurs in the country under 30. And I can vouch for his podcast because I was recently on it and he had such a warm and strong, steady presence. And it was just an amazing experience to be on his show. So I feel very humbled and honored that he agreed to come onto my show. We had just a really fantastic conversation about what it means to be great, what it means to go from a state of being that is filled with doubt, self-doubt, that's filled with pain, that's filled with trauma, that's filled with an old story, and to transform yourself so that you can actually be literally the best version of yourself. And it's not an overnight success thing. It is the steps that he took to really change his outlook on life and to go from someone who felt really badly about himself to creating so much in life and giving back so much. And to hear him talk about that and also how he went from struggling in romantic relationships to now a completely different kind of romantic relationship, a more quote unquote conscious, if you will, relationship, to hear him go from one to the other and to hear the steps that he took and the, and the things that he had to change in his thinking and also the practical steps that he had to take in order to go from a place of struggling in romantic relationships to a beautiful relationship. It's just wonderful to hear and it's incredibly, it'll just be incredibly helpful and inspiring and useful. So here we go, me and Lewis House. 
Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I am so excited to welcome to the show, Lewis Howes. Welcome, Lewis. Thanks, Jillian. Appreciate it. One of the first questions that came to my mind, or one of the first things that came to my mind, is that people think that this sort of accomplishment happens overnight, and it doesn't. It's usually there's a lot of labor behind it and a lot of work and a lot of tears. I'm really curious to know how you got started on this journey and why you got started. Mm. The School of Greatness, let's start with that. School of Greatness started because I was in a lot of pain. I was suffering a lot internally and I was having a lot of breakdowns in my life. I had a business that was doing well in terms of, you know, generating multiple seven figures a year, but- I wasn't happy in it. And it was something that I was struggling with and figuring out, okay, what's next for me? And so I was having some breakdowns and questions and uncertainties there. I was in a relationship that I just moved to Los Angeles for that wasn't working out. And it was, I was struggling there. And then I was just kind of just struggling in general. I was like, man, the thing that where I'm putting my energy and building my business and the relationship I'm in, it's just not working. And common denominator was me, right? I was, I was essentially not working. And so as much as I thought I had the answers and I had, I thought I had it figured out because I had been successful, quote unquote, in sports and made money or whatever, something was off. And I was very resistant to change. I was very resistant to receiving feedback or criticism. I was very resistant because I thought, again, I have the answers. I got these results in my life. I've you know accomplished this and I've done all these different things. So who is anyone else to tell me that I've got to take a look in the mirror? And I think that ego that I had worked for me in certain ways. It supported me in protecting myself emotionally in some ways, but it hurt me in other ways. And it supported me in being driven to get results. But at the end of the day, I, I really felt a lot of pain and I felt a lot of questioning and I felt a lot of uncertainty and I felt very lonely inside. And so I had to learn the hard way through a lot of different breakdowns about humility to be honest, and being open to feedback and being open to receiving coaching from other people about you know what was going on. And that's when I started this journey. I started reflecting and asking myself questions. If I could do anything, what would I want to do? What is the thing that excites me the most? If I did anything and I didn't make money, but I really enjoyed it, what would that be? And I just had this reflection season of time where I was like, you know, I I just want to interview people. I'm just so curious and fascinated about people. And I realize that I've gotten certain results in my life, but I feel like I'm missing something. So I want to go find some wise people, much more seasoned than me, much more experienced in relationships and money and health and all these things and ask them questions. That's how it started. And it started 10 years ago next week. And so it's a 10 year anniversary and it's been a, it's been a journey. You know, of a lot of ups and downs personally, a lot of successes, mistakes and failures and all these different things. But it's been a beautiful journey because I'm just as passionate about it now as I was 10 years ago. That's amazing. And it's interesting that you went from, I'm not open to feedback to, I want to be in a room with people who are smarter than me. 
hundred percent. Yeah. And I'm always trying to do that. I was just at a, a mastermind event with people that are, you know, making hundreds of millions of dollars and I'm, I'm small time compared to them and they're 10, 15 years wiser than me and had a lot of different experiences in so many areas of life. And I'm always trying to put myself in those rooms where people are much wiser, much more intelligent that I can learn from, that I could have mentors, models of individuals who've been through it and hopefully not make the same mistakes they did and, and learn quicker the things they did. I think that is so key. One of the one of the things that I live by is mentorship and always mm -hmm. having a mentor and always having trying to make it so that I'm in close proximity to those who are yeah. killing it much more than I am. Mm -hmm. I think that's mm -hmm. definitely how we grow. So you said that pain is the reason why you got started on this journey to building what it is mm -hmm. that you have built today. Yeah. And that usually is the motivation. So you've obviously have done a lot of work. I mean, usually pain and suffering comes from a deluded belief, but a belief nonetheless, that what we want is actually outside of us as mm -hmm. opposed to inside of us. And most of us suffer because we're trying to get that thing. We're trying to get that love. We're trying to get that relationship. We're trying to get that money. And we think once mm -hmm. I get that, I'll be okay. Right. But you had by anyone's standard, a lot of success. You were making a lot of money, but you were unfulfilled and unhappy. So you clearly had to address things internally to be able to get to a point where you could find more peace within yourself. What did you discover was one of mm. the biggest obstacles to your internal peace and just happiness? Healing. I think I was unable to reflect on a lot of different painful challenges that caused me to be defensive, caused me to have an ego, caused me to be reactive, caused me to project, caused me to wear a mask at different times. No, I felt like I was a very fun-loving, authentic human being that cared about people. It's not like I was much different, but there was something inside of me that was more resistant. And I think that resistance caused a lot of upset because I was so resistant and I had such a big ego. And I think that was the thing that caused it. And I think after 10 years of this journey, and I honestly feel like I'm just beginning, like after I've done so much in 10 years, but also... I feel like I have so much to learn. Like, I feel like I'm so hungry to learn because I know I still know nothing. I still know nothing compared to what so many people know and all the experiences they have. So I think the thing that I never understood was how to love and accept myself. And it's so hard to feel peace inside when you're in a relationship and you get the relationship you want or you have the career or build the company you want if you don't know how to love and accept yourself and if you're still haven't healed from the past. And I didn't understand this concept because as a football player and an athlete, I pain was just part of the process and wounds happen. You just shake it off. You move on. And you put on a, a tough face to be able to handle the battle ahead, right? It's like, I can't just cry on a football field. I've got to be able to go out there and, and hit someone as hard as I can and win the game. That was kind of the mentality. So it wasn't until, you know, after years of unwiring where I was like, okay, I've got to really learn how to heal this. Otherwise, it's going to keep hurting me. In some ways, it was driving me to get results. In other ways, it was leaving me more and more alone and loving myself less and less. 
because the more I would achieve and accomplish, I felt like I was supposed to love myself or feel something different, but I wasn't feeling it. And I think um, it took a long time to learn how to create meaning from painful memories, accept what happened from the past and not be upset or angry or resentful or unforgiving and be at peace of my entire life. I think it took a long time for me. And it's been one of the most beautiful journeys of establishing a healthy relationship with my past mm -hmm. and rewriting these stories and finding meaning. You know, Viktor Frankl talking about meaning from tragedy. And I think that's, we're all going to experience some type of heartbreak, loss, death, sickness, disease, whether personally or someone related to us. And it's going to be unfortunately tragic. It's unfortunate that these events happen. And I think it's our opportunity to create meaning in those moments and not have a spiritual bypass and just blow by them and say, everything's fine and positive thinking. It's healthy grieving process and also creating meaning at the right season and time to be able to move forward in a beautiful way so you can keep enjoying your life and not living in the past pain. And I think a lot of people live in past pain and it blocks them in their intimacy and relationships. That's been the case for me in the past where I've been afraid to have courage to speak up, to not abandon myself because of previous pain and not wanting to feel it again. And the things we resist usually keep persisting until we have a, enough of a breakdown where we're like, okay, I'm sick and tired of this. I got to do something differently. And that's kind of been my journey is multiple, multiple repeating of patterns in different areas of life until I said, all right, my ego doesn't work for me anymore in this way. So I'm going to have some reflection. I'm going to find some mentorship, some coaching and start trying different things and start reflecting on the past, mending whatever wounds that's holding me back from doing this and creating a new toolkit, a new strategy to implement and go through the implementation of healing and the integration of healing by showing up every day and practicing it. And season after season, hopefully it becomes more of me. So it's second nature. That's been my experience over the last couple of years in, in emotional healing and allowing me to dive in fully in intimacy in a new relationship. And that's what's allowed me to have more courage and building my business and stepping up in ways I've never done before. That's what allowed me to courage to, you know, for like three years, I felt blocked in writing this book, to be honest. I felt like I was researching it. I was writing it. I was... I was more like taking notes and like doing interviews around it, but I felt blocked, like I couldn't put it out there. And I didn't have the fear of launching a book because I'd already done that. But it was like, okay, there's something inside of me I know that if I say it and I haven't figured out internally how to be at peace, then I would be a fraud. I would be an inauthentic if I'm doing that. And so I couldn't put the book out. I couldn't write the book fully because I felt not internally in full peace. And uh, it's been a beautiful journey over the last couple of years of learning those tools and integrating that healing. But I think that's what holds a lot of people back. Okay. You just said so much and I, my mind is like swirling because I can see so many different ways to go, but I want to start with this. And this is the concept of self-love mm -hmm. because in my world, in the relationship world, relationship coaching world, there's sort of these two camps. One is you have to love yourself. You have to love yourself to have fulfilling relationships. You have to love yourself to have a fulfilling relationship with money, with work, mm, career, yes. all of that. And then there's this other camp that's like, you don't have to love yourself. You learn to love yourself through relationship. And I actually call BS on both. It's so <laughs> not binary. But what uh -huh. I will say is this, 
If anyone thinks that they don't have to love themselves in order to have a healthy relationship, they are deluded. But you don't have to like everything about yourself. You just have to fundamentally accept who you are, even though you'll have moments where you're angry at yourself, where your self-esteem takes a little bit of a dip, but you don't live there. And what I think you said that is so important for listeners to hear is part of learning how to love yourself is making peace with your past. Mm -hmm. And making peace with your past is being able to look at the stories that your mind and your whole nervous system is stuck looping in your head and to rewrite that narrative so that you can be free. And that's really so important because whether it's the story, I mean, I, you know, work with a lot of people who are trying to move on from an ex. They're trying to, you know, get over a breakup. And obviously in the beginning stages of a breakup, you can't reason with someone. You can't reason with yourself. It's painful. It's irrational. You lost (laughs) this person who in many cases was completely terrible for you, but you feel like you're going to die. There's nothing rational in the process of getting over someone in the beginning, but people get stuck. They get stuck. And even though they might say, yeah, I'm over them, they're not moving forward with their lives. They're shut down to love. They're bringing their patterns into new relationships. They're not opening up. They're avoiding joy. And it's because they have, and most of it's unconscious, they're stuck on a particular thread in that story that is hypnotizing them into believing, I don't know, that they're not good enough or that Mm -hmm. all these people are the same way or that relationship means pain. And if you don't learn with the help of a therapist, a mentor, or whatever, someone, just a podcast listening to you. I mean, you could be changing someone's life right now just through your story. If you don't listen to other people's stories of how they emancipated themselves from the mental prison that they find themselves in because they're so fixated on a story that might actually be extremely tragic and traumatic and does require Mm -hmm. professional intervention, That if people don't do that, the real tragedy is the meaning that they give everything Mm. that's happened to them is I must be inadequate in some way. And so then they live their lives trying to get significance, right? That's the ego, trying to be enough, trying to get everything, trying to get all the attention, trying to get all the money, trying to get all the sex, whatever it is. And then they just keep feeling empty inside. And so I'm so glad that you brought that up because it is important to love yourself. You don't have to like Mm -hmm. yourself all the time. You have to figure out a way to accept and embrace who you are in spite of your ambivalence towards yourself. Yeah. And another thing that you said that I think is so key is that, so you have to love yourself. You have to find the mentorship, but then you have to integrate what it is that you learn into your life so that you don't, because it's very easy. The past is very seductive. Mm-hmm. When you were writing The Greatness Mindset, Unlock the Power of Your Mind and Live Your Best Life Today, which I believe comes out on March 7th. Yep. When you were writing that, and I don't think the irony is lost in you that you know you were feeling locked in your mind and here you mm-hmm. are writing a book about unlocking your mind. Exactly. What did you do? What 
were the main steps that you took to free yourself, to free your mind, to open your mind? Man, I think it takes a lot of courage to free yourself. I think it takes a lot of courage to Amen. look yourself in the mirror and say, okay, there are certain patterns and programs that I've been conditioned and I've lived in my life that got me certain results and it left me feeling this type of pain and accepting that you've done that and really facing it and saying, okay, I accept it. I think for many years, I used to beat myself up when I would make mistakes or when I would fail or when I'd do something that was painful or whatever it might be. I would self-criticize and degrade myself of how dumb I was and how could I have done that? And I think we've learned unconsciously how to be really self-critical as opposed to being a positive self-coach. And I'm not saying just positive thinking, coaching to yourself, but really critical coaching and giving yourself authentic feedback of what your highest self could do better. And when we can become a better coach in a, an authentic way to ourselves, as opposed to a self-critic, I think that's step one is really like, okay, you made some mistakes, look, acknowledge it, but beating yourself up anymore is not going to change the past. So how can we learn from this and integrate the lesson and start applying something new? What I did is I've been on a number of different healing modalities and journeys over the last 10 years. And for me, it's been a journey, you know, 10 years ago, I did some stuff for the first year that really helped unlock and heal the nervous system around sexual trauma that I faced. So that was stage one healing integration to where after about a year of doing the therapies and exercises and integrating and, and speaking about it to family and then friends, it became more of like, okay, I don't live in fear like I'm going to die if I speak about this. If someone knows this about me, I accept and love this part of my past. I don't like it. I wish it didn't happen. I don't want this to happen for anyone else. It was extremely painful and it shaped 25 years of my existence of who I was. My identity was shaped around this and many other things that happened related to the feeling of being abused, taking advantage of, and not cared for in certain different scenarios. So I built stories and programming that I was someone who was abused, someone who was not lovable, someone who was taken advantage of and not enough. And at the core of all the different fears that we have that you already said is I'm not enough. There's three main fears, the fear of failure, the fear of success, and the fear of judgment. At the center of any one of those, and we usually have a dominant one, the center is I'm not enough. I'm not smart enough, pretty enough, talented enough, I'll never be enough. So I had that program unconsciously inside of me that I'm not enough because this happened. And probably people, when they go through a breakup, this person broke up with me, I'm not enough. I'm inadequate, like you said. And so if we believe that in our core, consciously and unconsciously, and then we're speaking to ourselves, we're speaking to others, I'm a mess, I'm a failure, I'm not, enough, I'm not good enough. When we're saying those things, we are putting doubt into our nervous system, into our emotions, into our spiritual alignment to our purpose. And doubt is the biggest killer of dreams. And so the more we doubt ourselves, the more we are unable to live a fulfillment of dreams, a fulfillment of desires, a fulfillment of love, of joy, of peace. And therefore, we're always going to feel stuck. And we're always going to feel like when you're reaching and grabbing for something to feel better and fill up this feeling of not enoughness. So for me, I felt like I was able to heal that. 10 years ago, and the healing is always a journey. It's not like a one thing and it's you're healed. It's a journey of integration for a long time and probably a lifetime. And then I had to learn how to heal in other things. And it's funny because the last two years, 
I might have showed you this when I interviewed you, but I've had photo of myself at different ages of my my childhood when there were painful memories on my screensaver. Now that may seem like a super egotistical, narcissistic thing to have a photo of your childhood self on your screensaver, but it's all for the intention of healing and integrating an exercise. Let me practice this. Let me go back to those moments and look at myself as a five-year-old on my screensaver every time I open my phone, which is probably a hundred times a day, and have a different meaning around what that meant and have a different conversation and let me be the adult in the room and coach that part of myself from a positive place, from a loving place, as opposed to you're not enough, you're unlovable, you're sexually abused, like you're, and that's who you are for the rest of your life. And so I went through a period of probably about six to eight months where I had this photo of myself when I was five on my phone. And I would integrate the meaning and the healing and the lessons and the love and the appreciation. And man, look how far we've come. Look what you had to overcome. You're so strong. You're so inspiring. And I get like chills just thinking about that because as kids, we don't have the skills or the tools or the wisdom or the experience to know these things. We are just entering the world, trying to figure out how to speak, communicate, survive. And we don't know these things can be scary for so many of us if we never felt like we were lovable to feel that way as adults as well, because that's our program. Our program typically becomes in a series of our events, our thoughts, and our feelings. That becomes our personality. And our personality, as Dr. Joe Dispenza says, becomes our personal reality. Mm -hmm. So we must go back and call it reprogram, call it tell a different story, call it heal, call it men, call it whatever you want to call it that works for you. We must go back and create a different experience from the things that cause resistance in our life. If we want to feel freedom. Now, if we don't want to feel freedom and you just want to keep living our life and we feel happy as we are, then just keep doing that. But I'm looking for more. I'm looking for something greater. I'm looking to feel a sense of love and peace and an environment that flourishes internally and mentally so that I can create that abundantly externally as well. And also, if I have nothing externally, I'm still happy internally. That is really the end goal. The more that I actually accumulate, it actually means less and less because I'm happy either way. I'm happy in a relationship. I'm happy not in a relationship. I'm happy with money. I'm happy with little money. I'm happy with platform. I'm happy without platform. So these things don't define my love and joy and self-acceptance belief that I am enough. And that has been the goal of kind of unwinding those memories that cause me to have thoughts and feelings about myself that cause me to take actions on a consistent basis and have triggers that cause me to feel my nervous system in a fight or flight state in different moments based on a past memory so that when these things happen now, I don't have to be in a fight or flight in my nervous system. I can integrate the lesson. I can lean into it. Maybe there are uncomfortable moments, but it doesn't hold me back from being authentic, from being conscious, from being proud to communicate, to act, to speak, to love from a place of my highest version of my best self, as opposed to my most afraid, scared, weakest self. And that's all I'm really trying to do. You know, for me, sure, I've got big dreams and goals to launch the stuff that I launch and have it be successful, but I've also let go of the result of it needing to be in order to love and accept myself. And it's because I've been able to make peace of my past, like you said, that has taken two years. I just had a coaching session with my 
emotional coach last night. And uh, she was like, it was two years ago today when we started our first session. And I was a wreck emotionally. I had a thriving business and money in the bank and, you know, I was healthy, but I'd gone through a two-year relationship that started to unwind in the previous year. So the first year was good, then it kind of unwound. And I was trying to get it back to being good. I was trying to get it back to like figuring out why are we not hitting the mark together? Why are we not aligned? What's going on? And, and I was abandoning myself for a year to create peace in a relationship. I was abandoning my values, what I wanted to give in so that someone wouldn't scream at me, you know, try to fight with me. So what did that look like? Did that look like people pleasing? Did it look like just yeah, being constant agreeable? people pleasing? Like, okay, I'm gonna do this just to make you happy. I'm gonna buy this mm -hmm. just to make you happy. I'm gonna go here just to make you happy. I'm gonna not do what I want to do to make you happy. I'm gonna stop doing what what I've been always doing because you now feel insecure of the way I run my business. And I'm gonna check in every two hours because you're insecure and you need me to check in. I'm gonna whatever it was. I think this is what a lot of men actually struggle with in relationship. Yeah. To be honest. Yeah. So I felt like I couldn't be authentic anymore. I felt like I had to be someone else in order for there to be peace. So it started small. It was like little things, but then it just started to build. And when there's disturbances every other day is what it felt like. Maybe it was only once a week or three times a week, but it feels like, man, when you come home and someone's screaming at you, that was a pattern from childhood. I grew up with parents that would scream and argue and cold shoulder, and it created a lot of fear inside of me. So I was like, what can I do to create the peace? You want this to make you happy? You'll stop screaming at me? Okay. You know, and also abandoning myself because I also went into the relationship saying, hey, a non-negotiable is we don't scream. We can argue. You can be upset at me. You can disagree with me. But screaming is what children do. Screaming is what people do when you don't have control of your emotions. And we can be adults and we can be loving and still be upset. And that's fine. We can argue all day. But when you scream at me, that means you've lost control of you. And if I scream at you, I've lost control. And that is an unacceptable behavior. And so I allow that to happen. So I'm abandoning myself and going back on my own commitments to me, which says I don't fully accept and love myself, as opposed to saying, hey, you know what? This has been good, you know, first year, but if this is the way it's going to be, I can't live like this. And so I wish you the best. I was afraid to end things because again, that feeling of I'm not enough or I want to make it work or whatever it is. And I'm sure combined with that is just a fear of losing the person at the time. Yeah. And the investment of time and energy and all these yeah. things. It's like, yeah. And you, you know, it's thinking about, well, they were really great the first six months. They weren't screaming at me. Let's get back to that place. You know? So you just, yeah. you're going back to like, okay, it's not horrible yet. And then it's little by little, you see it evolve to where you're like, now I feel like I'm getting heart palpitations every day. And mm -hmm. I'm the one responsible because I'm the one in it and I've chosen yes. to stay. So it's never about the other person. It's never about they're doing this to me. It's no, I'm doing this to me by allowing it to happen. I'm allowing someone to speak this way, to, you know, create emotional disturbances frequently. And that's on me. I can walk away at any moment, but for whatever reason, I'm not because maybe I hope something could be better or whatever it might be. And part of that is my mentality. Okay, I'm going to make sure we succeed. We win. I'm an athlete. I'm goal-oriented. Okay, let's get back to it. I'll do whatever it takes. And so I sacrifice a lot sometimes. I have in the past up until now to abandon self to try to serve one person. And I realized if you sacrifice yourself for just one, 
then that's not service. That's not helping. That's not a win-win. There must be a win-win in these, especially in an intimate relationship where if you're going to live with this person for the rest of your life or a series of time, you've got to be willing to make sure you're creating an environment of peace and joy and acceptance of you and them. And so when I started the, so I started on a healing journey and it took about five, six months where I was doing emotional coaching with a coach like almost every week, sometimes five, six hours on Saturdays. Emotional coaching. Can you just give a little bit of detail about what that actually is? Yeah. I mean, I, I've got business coach. I've got mm -hmm. a nutritionist coach. I've got a, a fitness trainer coach. And mm -hmm. I think the thing that is probably the most difficult for people to navigate is the relationships they have with themselves and others. And yet very few people get coaching with it. We just think, oh, well, my parents gave me this, so I, I have the perfect script on how to do it. And if we have any dysfunction from our parents and we've modeled that, then we're probably gonna pick up some bad tendencies along the way. Even when we think, oh, I'm never gonna be like that, we might be some other way, resistant in another way. So for me, I've been a big believer in just having emotional coaching. Call it therapy, call it a spiritual coach, call it um, you know someone guiding your emotional journey. Because we are emotional human beings. Every day we're filled with lots of different emotions that come and go. And like you said, if we get stuck in a emotional trap after a breakup, in a relationship that's not going well, and we are unable to get unstuck, why would we think we could do it all on our own unless we have already mastered it, unless we have already been the masters of our emotional journey? But when I look at just sports analogies, the greatest athletes in the world got to the top from great coaches. And then the ones that stay on top continue to hire teams of coaches to support their athletic, mental, emotional journey, nutritional journey of staying at the top. So why would we think we can go through life emotionally without some type of guidance? Like you said, mentorship. You know, if you've got parents to guide you, great. You know, I don't have my father anymore to guide me emotionally. So mm -hmm. it's seeking mentorship. And it doesn't have to be hiring a coach. It can just be, hey, I've got lots of men who are 10, 15 years wiser than me who've got amazing marriages that I just have dinners with and I just pick their brains. That's great too. And I ask them questions. But for me, I wanted freedom. And after relationship after relationship, not ending in a similar result of emotional stress, I realized that I was the common denominator. And if I wanted the world to change around me, I must change within me. And that takes, again, a lot of courage, I think, for people to do that in any stage of their life. I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to spend hours every week with a coach supporting me, going in, diving in, facing these things that were painful. It's not fun. It's not enjoyable. Like I'd rather just watch football and hang out with my friends or go to the beach or something. But I was sick and tired of feeling sick and tired of this. And I wanted to create a sense of total peace within me. And I kept just repeating a pattern of being like, oh, let me just there's this amazing person in front of me and they're, they seem awesome and th this feels good. So let's just jump into this and go for it. And so when I entered the, the relationship with Martha, my girlfriend, now I took a completely different approach that I was like, you know what, I'm just going to do it completely different than how I've ever done it. And I'm going to be conscious about my decisions. I'm not going to be unconscious based on my emotional stimulus or my desires. So I paused my desires and leaned into the highest version of myself 
at the time is what I felt like. And what would my highest version of myself do differently? Let me do that. Let me try that out. And if it doesn't work out, I can always go back to the old script and, you know, <laughs> and mess up again. But I was like, let me try something differently. And it's been a beautiful journey. Okay, so your pattern previously when it came to conflict, particularly in a romantic relationship, was to capitulate, was to please, was to just try to find a solution as quickly mm -hmm. as possible and to bring peace and harmony. I just wanted peace, yeah. You just wanted peace, of course. So and you now, can't buy when peace. You're face you can't buy peace, no. You've got to be peace. Yes, you do. So, okay, that leads me to my next question. When you're faced with conflict today, because it's not like the trigger goes away, we might then right. be activated into that old mm -hmm. patterning where the impulse is just to create peace and bring yep. peace. What is your internal process mm. now? Is it, okay, I feel this, I'm being flooded right now. Let me take a deep breath. It's constant. It's a practice. If I'm relating it to sports analogy, I remember I was all state basketball. I was like the best in the league, MVP of the league, all that stuff. I played college basketball, you know, and I wasn't even practicing because I was playing football and the decathlon and I still started on the basketball team. I was talented as an athlete, right? I was horrible in school. I have nothing to brag about there, but I was a talented athlete because I invested so much time in practice. I had natural abilities and I was tall, all these things. So I had things going for me in that area. But when I first learned to play basketball, I used to shoot with two hands. I used to shoot a basketball with two hands and I got really good at scoring a lot with two hands. Like I could shoot it from anywhere with two hands, but that's not the best technique to the next level. It's easy to get blocked when you're in high school and college with that approach. So even though I got very good at it, it became second nature. It became my pattern, my script. I remember one summer, a coach being like, no, we've got to teach you how to shoot one-handed. Essentially one-handed with a guide hand to shoot with a follow-through. It's going to be better for your long-term career. And it was painful. I didn't want to do it. And every day it hurt, like trying to change and trying to rewire this and trying to like do this awkward thing. And I wasn't as good at it. So I would miss more shots, which made me want to go back to the old way. But I knew that I needed to stick this out. And it took three or four months until I got semi-comfortable but I had to do it every single day and feel the pain, feel the discomfort, feel the, I just want to go back to the familiar because it's what I'm comfortable with. But being comfortable doesn't create greatness. It doesn't allow you to break through to what's possible to the next level. So I had to practice and try this over and over again. And eventually I started to master a new technique. And then eventually over time, I never thought about shooting two-handed ever again. And the same thing in this, you know, in relationships and the emotional journey of feeling triggers. Over the last two years, there have been, let's call it PTSD trigger moments that have come up in my nervous system that originally I'm like, okay, I don't like this feeling. I want to go back into the old pattern of resistance or avoidance or whatever it was. And through having an, an emotional coach to check in with every two weeks and readjust my form and technique with my emotional journey, with my reactions to the triggers of life, it allowed me to, to reflect and say, okay, I tried this and here's what worked. 
and let's keep diving in and keep getting new tools and keep practicing this. And then I would integrate the lessons from the coaching and practice it the next day. And then I would reflect at night, okay, how did I show up today? Was my authentic highest self here? Or did I allow my past pain to react today? Is that what showed up? Mm -hmm. Did the future highest self show up or the past pain show up? And it's just a moment of trying to be aware. I had a I had a challenging conversation last night with my girlfriend that was around lots of topics of engagements and marriage and money and homes. And I was like, okay, this is a lot. You know, I've never had these types of conversations in this format. You know, we've talked about engagement and marriage and all this, but it was kind of like a bunch of things thrown at me at once. And I was like, man, I've already just had an emotional day of four hours of speaking on a webinar and this and that. And I'm like, okay, what do I need to do? Do I allow my past triggers and fears to run the moment? Or can I breathe? Can I calm myself? Can I be a better listener? Can I, you know, not interrupt and interject and let her finish what she's saying and hear all the way through? Can I breathe? And was I perfect? No, but I'm, I was way better than I've been in my past. And so it's a moment to reflect on that. And we talked about it this morning and had a great conversation. And it's like, okay, we're, we're both on that journey. So again, we weren't like fighting or screaming or anything like that. It was more what could have been an uncomfortable, avoidant moment turned into, these are the moments that I'm actually looking for to give myself an opportunity to practice what I've learned. And we don't yes. like those uncomfortable moments, but the more I lean into the uncomfortable conversations, the more I give my nervous system practice to say, you are safe, you are loved, you are accepted, and you are enough for me. Whether anyone else feels that way, I feel that for me, I claim that for me, and that is a beautiful gift because I know no matter what happens in my life, I will be okay. It doesn't mean I'm going to like certain things or may not want them to be differently, but at the end of the day, I know I'll be okay. And I think a lot of people, when they're in a breakup or they're in a relationship or marriage that they're not okay, they don't have the courage to speak up or leave or find a way to like, you know, after a season of trying to make it work, they just stay stuck as opposed to breaking through. And that was me for many, many years, not even being married, but I just it was hard for me to end relationships out of fear. So that's been part well, of the journey the last couple of years. Yeah, that, that's very helpful. Well, you mentioned about avoidance, and it sounds like a lot of suppression and repression of emotion. Mm -hmm. And what comes to mind is this concept of being vulnerable. Yeah. I think that it's fairly common knowledge that women have a greater comfort with being vulnerable, and they're mm -hmm. more accepted for being vulnerable, and men are not. However, as someone who's worked now with thousands of women, what I'm finding is that the fear of vulnerability is like across the board, every, mm, everywhere. And it's sure. very, it's tragic for men, of course, but it's also very tragic for women because that's part of what I think that's so beautiful that a woman brings to a relationship is her ease with vulnerability. And I'm finding that no one's really easeful with it anymore. Right, so right. in your relationship, you know, you talked about self-abandonment. You talked about being a better listener when all that fear comes up and overwhelmment. But how about the opening up and the allowing yourself to actually be seen and to maybe be, 
Yeah, to be really raw. Like, how has mm. that been? Because I'm sure oh, in your past, that has been something that you have worked very hard oh, yeah. not to be seen and not to be revealed in that way. Well, it's interesting because in my past, I would actually be vulnerable, but it wouldn't be received. Mm. And so okay. it was challenging because I was like, okay, I'm doing what I feel like every woman says they want their man to do, but then they don't know how to handle it. And they're actually mm. getting upset or avoidant or, and I was like, okay, well, what are you supposed to do then? So then you're being trained to shut down basically. Exactly. And it's one of the reasons why I yeah. wrote a book called The Mask of Masculinity, because I was like, listen, there, there needs to be a shift because yes, men in general struggle with being vulnerable. And the more I went down the journey of discovering why, it's because men would say, well, when I try to be vulnerable, then the women shut down or they tell me to man up. And so why would you want to open your heart when your woman is supposed to be the woman that sees you at your lowest moments or most vulnerable moments, accepts you, and they don't do it? Then you say to yourself and your body trains itself, I will never be afraid around this person again. I'll always be stoic. I'll always put a guard up. I'll make sure I'm always uh, you know, strong because she can't handle me being vulnerable. I'm not saying that for every instance, but that was the common theme that I would hear. Yes. And when it's already conditioned that you're not supposed to be vulnerable as a man through decades of programming, and then you try and you have all the courage and then it's shut down or it's not met with a received feeling of love and compassion, or she doesn't want to have sex with you the next day because she's turned off or whatever it is, whatever story mm -hmm. you tell yourself, why would you ever do something again if it's not rewarded? And you don't feel safe unless you feel fully safe and accepted and they're not going to use it against you later, which happens for a lot of men too. I'm not saying all women do this, but a lot of men I've heard say this. So you're going to go back to default. You're going to go back to the thing that you know, okay, I'm going to protect myself. I'm going to be strong. And that's why I was just like, man, men get to go on a healing journey in order to create the most loving relationships they've ever had. And if they don't, then that's okay, but they're going to only experience love and peace and fulfillment to a certain extent. And there's nothing wrong with that if that's what you want. But I think a lot of people here listening probably want more. They want to have a deeper sense of love and peace and fulfillment and abundance yes. internally and externally. I'm assuming that's why they're listening. And if that's the case, then it's going to have to take you fully you know, healing and being vulnerable with yourself. And so I got so good with accepting myself no matter what anyone cared and being able to discern if a relationship is receiving and be able to walk away if it's not. I got really good then after this kind of journey of healing where I was like, okay, then I get to be my 100% authentic self. If I want to be vulnerable and vulnerable, if I want to be asking weird questions, I ask weird questions. If I want to make sure I put a boundary up, I'm going to put a boundary up, even if there's resistance and 100% authenticity to who I am. And with Martha, I did that very early. I was kind of in my mentality of like, I kind of want to scare her away because I'm so authentic that she's like, you know, this is weird. And she was so excited about it because she'd never seen from her story, someone dishonest. And I was honest about everything. And I was like, if we get married and have kids, I'm never changing a diaper. I'm never doing this. I'm never doing that. I was like, here's my role and responsibility. And here's what I expect a marriage to be for me. Here's what I expect money to be about. This is what I expect health would be about, you know, I'm on a mission. She asked me at one point, she's like, what's your priorities in life? And I go, my priority is my mission, but first comes my health. Because if my health is not there, then I won't have the energy to be of service to my mission. And I need to be on a mission every day for my inner fulfillment. 
And that means service, that means creating, that means adding value to the world. Then my relationship will be number three. And no woman wants to hear that they're number three in a list of priorities. They want to say, you better make me your number one priority. I better be on top of your mind. Number one, drop anything at any moment. That's exactly right. Yeah, they get scared. And I think that's a recipe and a disaster for unmet expectations, unhealthy expectations in relationship that is built on fear as opposed to love and insecurity as opposed to service. And I believe that was the script that I was conditioned to believe as a man that I've got to abandon my health at all costs to make my woman happy. I've got to abandon my mission and my service to humanity at all costs whenever my woman wants to and make sure one person is happy over my health and over my mission. And that is not a win-win conscious relationship. A conscious, loving, healthy relationship is where both are in service to their health first, second, to their purpose, third, in my opinion, to their relationship to each other. And then family, friends, and other activities come after that. But I believe that health is the most important thing. And if we are not healthy and we are sick, that becomes the number one priority. You don't think about anything. You think about health. And so let's make sure we take care of health and prevent it and be conscious about it consistently. So that's not our problem. So we're aware of it. The second is then, at least speaking for a man's perspective, I believe a man's purpose needs to be extremely high on his list of priorities. And if he has no purpose, he will not be thriving in the relationship or the marriage. At all. He will not be thriving at At all. all. I said this to Martha. I'm going to tell you something you're not going to enjoy hearing. And you may not want to hang out with me because number one is health. Number two is my mission. And then number three will be our relationship. This is like the first few weeks of us hanging out. So, and I go, you're probably not going to hang out with me after you hear this. And I told her that. And she goes, this is amazing because every man that I've been with never had a purpose. They always made me their purpose. And after years, I'd be like, no, but what's the thing you want to go do? What's the dream? What are you here on this earth to create? Not just me. Yes, that's awesome. I like that. But at the end of the day, I don't think a woman truly, growing woman truly will desire their man unless he's on a mission. I don't care if the mission is, I just want to go clean up the streets every day and help two people. Cool. But be excited about something. Yeah. The mission is irrelevant. It's internally him feeling like he has meaning and purpose in life because that's how he actually shows up. Yeah. She never dated anyone with meaning and purpose. Exactly. So she, as a conscious woman, was like, I love that and I'm okay with that. And here's the thing. I make her feel like she's the number one priority. It's not like I'm like, oh, you get the scraps of me every day and you don't get any of my attention and it's all me and my mission. It's like, I spend so much time with her. We're creating a beautiful life together, you know, and I show up fully and presently with her when I'm with her. And I think she's inspired that I take care of my health. She's inspired that I take care of my mission and I have something that I'm excited about. And that makes her love and appreciate and respect me more than not having that and making her the top priority. But also, Lewis, I have a question for you, which is the fact that she is so supportive of your mission and therefore mm-hmm. is very supportive of you. Because I, yes. I think that when you think about your mission and you, it's almost like the same thing. It's the same thing. It doesn't turn off. Yeah. That's what's made it easier for you to really fall in love with her is because you 100%. have felt so supported. And so the paradox 100%. almost is, okay, it's my health first, it's my mission, and then it's the relationship. But 
at the and end listen, of the that day. And listen, that might change at a different season. Maybe in 10 years, I'm like, you know what? I'm done with my mission. I just want to be all in on the relationship. Who knows what's going to happen in the future? But this season of my life, I got to know myself. And I think a lot of people mm -hmm. aren't willing to fully accept who they are at this season of life. But I think it's important. You made an important distinction that a lot of people need to hear, which is she still feels like she's number one, even though I yes. even though I warned her and I prepared her, which I'm sure had a lot to do with your past of being fearful yes. of you didn't yeah. want to be taken advantage <laughs> yeah. of again. Exactly. So you're like, let me lay it on the table right now. 100%. So I don't get any complaints later. So I don't repeat the pain. And you tested her a little bit, I'm sure. Yeah. Not purposely, but you're just like, this is honest. the ticket yeah. to entry into my life. You have to understand where this is. And I always tell women who are of a particular age where they're dating someone, particularly a man who's in that building, because you're still in the buildings and you've built so much, but like you're nowhere close to, you said yourself, I feel like I'm just beginning, right? Mm -hmm. So you're such a builder and a creator. And I tell women, if you're dating men and that's the stage of life that they're in and they're building and creating something very big. Don't try to stop them. If you fall in love with that, you're actually you're putting love first because to love him, to love this person is to love their mission. And if you're on board with them. that, not to the point where you ignore yourself, but if you can actually fall in love with what he's in love with his mission, then that can be a really, really beautiful relationship. But it's so important that people understand that it's not that she's not important. You're basically told her, this is the support that I need from a partner. Yeah. And if it doesn't work for you, then we don't need to be in a relationship. We don't have to date anymore or, you know, or get yeah. into a committed relationship if you're expecting something different. And yeah. it's just being clear and honest. It doesn't mean she's wrong or I'm wrong. It's just, this is what I'm doing. This is my intention. This is what my authentic self is at right now. Maybe when we have kids, it'll change, but I can't say it will change, nor I won't, and I'm going to say I will change then. If I want to, I will. I was like, I need to be very clear. This is who I am. This is my mission. And this is my season of life. So what are your thoughts about marriage and kids and how it's going to impact your mission and all that? I think it's going to elevate everything. Okay. So you believe in marriage? I believe in conscious relationship. Yeah. I don't believe in marriage by itself, I believe in marriage that has a conscious, intentional alignment. And I think a lot of people get married without having conscious conversations, without having a certain process to deepen the roots of a structure and to lay everything on the line of what you want, or at least what you think you want. And I know everything changes and Stuff's going to happen in the world and, and, you know, adversity and having flexibility also with what you say, but going into with super clear intentions. And I think a lot of people don't have the conversations. I've talked to many people that I know who've been married that had upsets later, you know, two, three, five, seven years later and have kids or whatever it might be. And I'm like, didn't you have these conversations beforehand? They're like, no, you know. You didn't. You just talked about, okay, well, we have the same religion and we both want kids. So we assume that each person is going to do it the same way. A lot of people lack the courage to have every conversation around money. What are your expectations? What happens if we make more? What happens if we make less? What happens if this? Every expectation around sex, intimacy, every conversation around health, 
around family, around friends. Well, what's the intention? Are people allowed to be in the home? What's every conversation? And so for me, a conscious relationship has that. A conscious marriage goes even deeper and communicates these things. It's to set yourself up for the best harmony and alignment. And I'm not saying perfect relationship, but harmony alignment. Mm -hmm. And I think most people are afraid to have the conscious conversations. And it's it can be scary sometimes. It's triggering. It's fearful. It's all these things. It's uncomfortable to speak about. And that's why I'm a big fan of not doing it all alone. Me and Martha have conversations all the time about all these things. And I told her early on, you know, I've kind of had this on repeat that I was like, I'm never changing a diaper. I'm sure I will change diapers, right? <laughs> but I told her, my, I, I want to be clear on what I believe and what I want my role and responsibility to be. Mm -hmm. I'm not a believer of 50-50 in a relationship. I think mm -hmm. that's a weak relationship mindset. I'm not saying it's bad. I just don't think it's the highest level of consciousness. And I've lived that way. That's why I'm not a believer of it anymore, because I don't think it works based on my experience. I'm a believer of 100 coming together and 100% our own roles. Again, I believe a lot that sports it mirrors life. And I am not a good point guard, but I'm a good center on the team. And if I tried to bring the ball up 50% of the time, I would turn the ball over, over someone else who's more talented at that role. And we would lose the game together more if I tried to share the role and responsibility 50-50. Instead, I'm going to be the best center, and I'm going to give 100% effort of my role. And I want you to give 100% effort on your role and responsibility. And I want to hear what is your role and responsibility look like for you as a woman and a partner in a conscious relationship, not a modern relationship where it's 50-50 and everyone shares everything. I don't believe in that. I believe in everyone goes 100% on their role, making the relationship stronger than 50-50. That's my belief. That's what I'm seeing. It's working right now in our roles and responsibility. I believe that's what, you know, her parents who've been married for 40 years and are still dancing every day and kissing and hugging each other and laughing all the time and have four healthy kids, they lived that model of roles and responsibilities and it's worked for them. I'm not saying it's going to work for everyone. Maybe today you want your man to be 50-50, wake up every night and change the diapers for six hours all night when the kid's screaming and this and this then it means I will perform less at my role. And then what? I'm expecting you to do part of my role, which you're not going to be talented at as much as I am because I have a skill set that you don't have. So for me, that doesn't make sense consciously. It might make sense emotionally or in the modern society of like fairness and equality, but I feel like it doesn't allow you to have a harmonious, aligned, conscious relationship. And I think that's the question's in conversations we should be having. That's what I'm having. And I said, again, I joked and said, like, I never want to change a diaper. If my kids got to change the diaper, I'm going to change the diaper, right? But I don't want that to be my expectation or my role. If I got to pick up the slack on things at times, of course, I'm going to be flexible and do those things. But I'm being clear on what my role will be. I'm going to be the provider. I'm going to support in this way. So I'm going to show up in this way. All these other things, I'm going to give you 100%. And I want you to do your role. And obviously, if I need help, you'll help me at times. And if you need help, I'm going to help you with those things. But I'm not going to expect you to do those things because I want to step up and be 100%. 
And you don't expect me to do certain things, but of course I will be flexible when I need to be and do them. But I don't want you to say, do this every day, 50-50. And she's like, great. I don't expect you to ever change a diaper because that's not what I believe is your role. And that's what I witnessed yes. my father and my mom. My mom would never let my dad touch a diaper because mm -hmm. she wanted him to go work, go mm -hmm. make the money and go work on what you're doing and then come home and be happy and working on her roles. And so it's just defining the roles that work for you. I'm not saying there needs to be a specific gender roles, but defining what works for you for harmony. And that's what I'm trying to create. But most people don't have I those conversations. I think that's key. And I think that's a really important conversation. It's really the expectations. There are people who will say, no, I, I want my man to change diapers. Fine. Great. But have that conversation. Yeah. He may not be your man then. Yes. And don't force someone to be... You can't force a dog to be a cat. You know, no. you got to accept the person for who they are or go find a different person. And really accept it, not say, yes, it's okay. And then once you're married, try to change no. it, which is what people do all the time. Yeah. And just to add to that, this is what I did. Yeah. It goes both ways. You know, Martha is a massive celebrity in Mexico. She's done 40 movies. She's done movies in US and Mexico. And we can't walk down the streets without guys coming up wanting to take photos with her, right? Mm -hmm. I knew this before committing in an exclusive relationship with her in the dating phase. I knew, I asked her questions. I'd seen movies of her kissing guys, doing kissing scenes before. Were you before. concerned at first? Was this something that you had to consult with yourself or with your coach? I had to ask myself and check in and be like, okay, yeah. this is not gonna change. She's not gonna mm -hmm. become less famous. She's not going to stop doing movies, nor do I want her to. I want her to be fully her best self. Sure. And so I was like, okay, maybe she's in another kissing scene in the future. I don't know. She might, she may not be. Am I okay with that? I had to check in with myself and ask myself yeah. that. Am I okay with you know millions of people watching my potential wife making out with some half-naked guy? Mm -hmm. I would be okay with. And I sat with it for maybe a week and thought to myself, what would my highest self feel? What would like the highest version of myself, my most loving and accepting version do? And is it really an insecurity? And I started to shape and I was like, okay, this is art. I understand this thing. And I don't think I would have been able to deal with it 10 years ago because I was a lot more jealous and insecure. Mm -hmm. Now I honestly can tell you that I don't have jealousy and insecurity with her or don't like feel like I have that at all. I don't think I'd have that with anyone. In the previous relationship, I didn't have that. Previous two relationships, I wasn't jealous or insecure. Even though they created cases where I could have felt it, I didn't feel jealous yes. and insecure. So I feel like I learned how to heal that jealousy monster, which crippled me for so many years of my life. Ooh, jealousy monster. That's a good one. Yeah. I mean, I feel like it is a monster for a lot of men. I think a lot of women too, but it's, oh, a, yeah. it's a monster yeah. that causes you to emotionally react in situations and cause disruption that doesn't need to happen. Because I'm at the point now, okay, if you do something that is out of integrity of what we've agreed to, then we just move on. We're out of the relationship then. And me stressing and worrying about it. And like, I've never once checked her phone, nor have I wanted to check her phone. I've never once questioned who she's hanging out with. And it doesn't matter to me. Because I'm like, if you're out of integrity, you know it. And eventually I'll find out. And mm -hmm. then we won't be together or we figure out a solution and we move on. Like, so me stressing doesn't add any value to this moment. I had this kind of reflection time and I was like, okay, maybe she never does another kissing scene again because she doesn't want to. But I don't know, what if it's with Brad Pitt or something or like, and she's in this epic movie and she wants to do it because it's like a movie, a role of a lifetime. I'm like, okay.
can I deal with this authentically and be 100% loving, accepting, and celebrating her for this? If I can't, I shouldn't be with her because I never want to mm. change someone. And so now there's there might be a line of, okay, I don't want you to do some like hardcore sex scene, but if it's like a makeout thing, it's different because I know it's 50 people in a room watching you. It's art. Mm-hmm. So I get it. I said, okay, I'm going to fully accept you for who you are, who you've been, and if you continue this way, who you will be. And I told her, I will never get upset at you or try to change you. I will never try to tell you not to do something that you want to do. And and I'll also never scream at you. And you can ask her today, and I've never been upset at her for something she's doing in her life of her career, I trust her choices and I accept her for who she is. I never scream at her. It doesn't mean I don't get, you know, arguments or something, but I went into the relationship consciously saying that I'm going to fully accept you for who you are. And I said, I want you to fully accept me for who I am. That means I'm going to be traveling sometimes alone and I'm going to be at events and there's going to be people there and there's going to be women flirting with me or trying to, or, you know, whatever it might be. And you've got to be acceptance and trust and not change my mission based on that. And trust, I'm going to put myself in good environments and situations to support the relationship. And that's what she's done. And so a feeling like someone isn't trying to change you to make their insecurities less, I think is a big thing that a lot of people, including myself in the past, struggled with. Hugely. Hugely. And it's unconscious. A lot of times it's unconscious trying to change the person you're in a relationship with so that you can feel more secure. 100%. And it never works. Never. You must become secure. You must become peace. And create the boundaries that work for you, I think, ahead of time so that you're not trying to change the person around you. Instead, you're saying, okay, we don't align on our values Mm -hmm. and our vision and our lifestyle. And that's okay. We don't need to be together. Even if I'm sexually attracted to you or love this thing about you or think you're really inspiring in this way, if we don't share values, vision, and lifestyle in alignment, 80% of them in alignment, then you're abandoning who you are for one person. And I just don't think that works. No, it never works. Never, ever works. I want to be respectful of your time, even though I want to talk to you for another two hours. Well, this is an important question because I think that a very big key to greatness is what it is that we are able to do in the moments and the days where we don't feel great, Oh man! when we do have doubt. So I want to know first what it is that you do when you have those moments and those days where you feel doubtful and you don't feel great and what you can share with our listeners about what they can do when they're faced with the inevitable challenge of a day or a moment where you just don't feel great. Yeah. I definitely have those days where like emotions are, you know, come and go, or there's, you have multiple challenging conversations with people in your life and you're like, okay, I just feel a little drained or whatever. I really believe having a schedule and a committed practice to your health and to your emotional coaching that can be with friends or a coach is really essential when you feel like you doubt yourself or it comes to you frequently. I think if you don't have some type of schedule in place where you are moving your body, that's why I really like to work out in the morning. So if I have anything I need, I can get it out, I can process, I can train, and I know that I'm 
processing emotions, but also doing something healthy for myself. Mm-hmm. And knowing that I have a close network of friends and family that I can call upon anytime I'm doubting myself, anytime I'm feeling tired or exhausted or drained, I can call someone, I can meet with a friend, I can tell someone safely how I feel, and I know that they'll be there to support me. So that's step one. And I think if you can find a coach or some type of accountability person or mentor, whether you invest in them or it's free, even once a month to have an hour conversation about how you're feeling, what's going on. It's an added benefit when you're doubting yourself consistently to know, okay, this is coming up. I'm going to have a moment to be able to talk about this. Maybe it's two weeks away or I have someone who I can talk to a week away or I can call them when I need to. It gives you a sense of safety, peace, relief, not having to do it all on your own. And I think when it comes to the matters of love and your emotions and your heart, it's not an easy game. It's it's just not an easy game. And trying to figure it out on your own when you weren't taught the proper lessons, tools, and skill sets, or you were taught them from potentially unhealthy models or some unhealthy skills from people, it's just hard to navigate. And I think this is the game, mastering your emotions and learning how to navigate emotions when it comes to intimacy, love, friends, career, like relationships is the key to success in life. And the key to success in relationships is vulnerability, is emotional regulation, is conscious communication when you're feeling overwhelmed, stressed, triggered, PTSD, nervous systems about to shut down. It's learning how to emotionally regulate those feelings so you can rise up to communicate as your highest version as opposed to your default, scared, fearful version. I totally agree with that 100%. I often say that a relationship is 20% skill, 80% psychology. Mm -hmm. Of course, it's important to learn the communication skills and learn how to basically to communicate, to repair after conflict. But if you don't actually know how to regulate your emotions and to regulate the stories because we get in our heads, right? And like something happens, we get in our heads, then all of a sudden we're creating a story about what has happened. And most relationships break down because people are creating meanings about the other person and what they did that's incredibly negative and disempowering. So all of a sudden it's like, They didn't do the dishes. Yeah, that's totally annoying because you asked them to do it. But the meaning would be they don't love me. They don't care. Mm -hmm. They're abusive. They're this, they're that. And it's those stories. Yeah. Yeah. It's those stories that really sabotage relationships. And so we really do have to become a master of our psychology in many ways Mm -hmm. in a relationship. And that doesn't mean perfection. I say all the time, just being able to acknowledge to yourself and to the person you're in a relationship with, hey, I've been in my head. I've been in my head creating stories and I'm sorry, I'm done. I'm present. I'm here. That's huge. Yep. I think that's a really huge step because if we don't master our psychology, it's a wrap. I think that being in a difficult relationship is probably one of the most, if not the most stressful thing that anyone can go through. 
It's, it's so incredibly draining. draining. But the power of a healthy relationship, not perfect, but healthy, how much has being in a relationship with your oh current girlfriend actually helped you in your mission, helped you be I mean, a better man, I mean, helped you be stronger? Well, being in a healthy relationship, but also I think it starts with being in a healthy relationship with yourself, because I think every sure. unhealthy relationship you have with someone else is related to the unhealthy relationship you have with self and allowing Absolutely. it to get to a certain point of being consistently unhealthy for a long period of time. I think that all comes back to self. I can say that if I did not shift the relationship with myself, start shifting it two years ago and unlocking a different version. So it's been like, you know, 10 years of unlocking different stages of healing. And the one around intimacy and relationships started a little over two years ago. If I did not start that process then, and then if I did not stay consistent, because I could have stopped after five months when I felt like, okay, I've got the answers, I'm moving on, I'm good to go, like the pain is gone. I continued for two years, every two weeks, for the first five months, almost every week, and then every two weeks since then. There is no way that I would feel this type of peace. And it doesn't mean I'm 100% peaceful all the time. There's definitely stressful moments, but there's no way I'd feel this ongoing state of peace that I feel, there's no way I would have been able to create the book and write it within essentially a year and put it out there because I felt this abundance of energy and love and peace where I could actually generate and create from a harmonious, authentic state as opposed to a forced, rushed, inauthentic state. And I think that has been the key, which makes me realize like, man, Energy is everything. And that's why health is the most important thing. Because if I don't have health, I don't have good energy. I can't create what I want for my mission and my purpose. And like you said, a man's purpose is his most important thing in life. And it's the thing that the women respect the most when he is on his purpose, whatever it is. And so I don't, if I don't have the energy or the clarity to take action on my purpose, I feel like I'm doing something wrong or I'm less than or I'm not giving my all or whatever it might be. And then I'm not going to feel as confident and that's going to rub off in my relationships. So creating that consistently has given me a lot of authentic, humble power to create from a place of humility and service rather than I need to be successful and make it happen. It's just a lot more effortless in the process. It's always more effortless when we make service the priority instead 100%. of money or what we're going to get from it. Yeah. No doubt. So your new book, The Greatness Mindset, Unlock the Power of Your Mind and Live Your Best Life Today. That's out March 7th. I cannot mm. wait to read this book. And I think Thank that you. people are going to be beyond stoked to read it, especially hearing how much you have dedicated your life to your healing, you know, mm. you walk your talk. And so I just want to honor you for, for, I mean, honestly, being the guinea pig in a lot of ways, because Man, a lot of suffering of being the guinea pig. <laughs> yes. But that's the thing. It's like being able to give back from your own experiences. It's giving people such a tremendous gift to say, you actually don't have to suffer as much as I did. Right. Here right. is the path. If you just take this path now, if you just start now, 
you don't have to go through what I went through to get there. You know, you don't have to have that relationship where you abandoned yourself. Like you can start working on this now. And that is a huge gift. And everyone is always looking for more internal peace and they don't know Mm -hmm. how. So I feel like this book is a real gift to the world. And I just really want to honor you for doing the work to make it happen. Thank you. This is the book that I wish I would have had 10 years ago for myself or 20 years ago that I wish I would have had. I always create something that I need personally. I'm so glad that I have it for myself, to be honest, because it's been a full team effort of like 10 years of interviews and finding the best experts and research on all these things for eliminating self-doubt. I'm a big believer Mm. that self-doubt is the killer of all dreams. I agree. It's the killer of relationships. It's the killer of careers. It's the killer of money. It's the killer of all these things. Anything you want to grow into, self-doubt is the killer of. And I wanted to get to the root of it because most of my childhood, I was crippled by self-doubt. And I would try to find ways to mask feeling insecure and insignificant. And I never was able to create enough or succeed enough to overcome it. So I had to learn how to identify which fear causes me to doubt myself, the fear of failure, success, or judgment, and how to get to the root of the fear of I'm not enough, and really figure out the whole process of mending these periods in time and reintegrating from a space of peace and harmony and alignment. And so that's the entire book is teaching you how to step forward into your highest authentic self by healing where you doubt yourself the most. And when you can get to that space, you feel like you can take on anything and you can have the courage to be loving in relationships and know you're going to be safe no matter what happens with the other person. And I think that's been the key for me and I think for a lot of people. Oh, absolutely. It's having the faith in yourself that you're going to be okay if things don't work out. Yep. You got to have your own back. I am thrilled to have had you here today, Lewis, and to talk to you. It's been a a real treat for me. And this book I know is going to change a lot of people's lives and I can't wait to read it. And I just, I thank you for being here and I thank you for existing. Thanks so much, Julian. Appreciate it. Have a wonderful day. Thank you. Thank you. This was such a powerful episode talking to the great Lewis Howes. Such a pleasure and an honor to speak with him. Please, you must get his new book, which releases tomorrow, which is called The Greatness Mindset, Unlock the Power of Your Mind and Live Your Best Life Today. This man has really gone through the ringer in life and he's put in the work. And this book is about that. And this episode is about that. And I think you'll find it incredibly inspiring. So please share this far and wide to whoever you think could benefit from this. And rate, review, subscribe. Email me at hello at jillianonlove.com if you have any questions. And I thank you for listening to this special episode. And until next time. Jillian on Love is a Q Code production, executive produced by David Henning and Steve Wilson, produced by Ryan Countshouse, edited in music by Will Tendy. On a summer night, Douglas Wagg Jr. lay motionless across a strip of railroad tracks before being struck by an oncoming train. 
I'm investigative journalist Delia D'Ambra, and my investigation into exactly how Doug died took me into the depths of a bizarre mystery. It was really hard to understand what was fact and what wasn't. A mystery that has led me from one suspicious death to another. Listen to CounterClock now, wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to a journey into the heart of the Texas Renaissance Festival, the nation's largest and rowdiest celebration of medieval fantasy. But what lurks beneath the facade of tights and turkey legs? Well, we dove deep into the empire to uncover a history marred by mystery and misconduct, murders, assaults, and other crimes that tarnish its legacy. This isn't just a fairy tale. It's a cautionary tale of power, fantasy, and the consequences that follow when they all collide. Search for Crime Waves Renaissance Texas on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening now.